Welcome to the Real Women podcast. My name is Hannah Wilson and I am your host. In each episode, we will meet resilient, empowered, authentic leaders who identify as being women. Our conversations will share how they have developed their resilience, reflect on how they have been empowered on their journeys, explore how they have embraced their authentic selves and discuss how they have evolved as leaders. In series one, there are 10 episodes. In each episode, we will meet people from my Resilient Leaders Elements Network, women in leadership who believe in the transformational impact of coaching. I hope you enjoy meeting them as much as I do knowing them. In this episode, I'll be chatting to Julie Rees. Julie Rees is passionate about enabling people to flourish. Throughout her teaching career, Julie has always invested time into developing people, whether they are students or staff. After 18 years of headship, Julie wanted to use her leadership experience to qualify as a CTI certified coach, and she currently enjoys working with leaders in both corporate and public sectors. Inspired by role models who want to make a positive difference to the lives and experiences of our younger generations, Julie continues to learn from others. She knows how to embrace purposeful change and can provide the right level of support and challenge in her coaching to empower leaders to make the change they want to see. So, Julie. Who are you? (laughs) Hi, Julie. (laughs) Who are you and what do you do? Tell our listeners a bit about Julie Reese. Oh, gosh. Um, So I am Julie Reese. I am currently head teacher of a large primary school over in Herefordshire, Um, a job that I absolutely love. It's my second headship, um, but I have been at this school a pretty long time now um, because it's interesting. And I've got the most amazing staff and community that I love working with. But I've been very fortunate that I've been able to work in other spheres internationally and nationally because I'm a values leader, values-based education leader. And most recently now, I'm a CTI qualified coach, have my ICF accreditation, and I've been doing some work with resilient leaders for a very long time. So I have my fingers in lots of pies and I'm passionate about many things. Wearing multiple hats, as, as we all do. So yeah. can you tell the audience, how do we know each other? When did we meet? How did we meet? Oh, my goodness. No, well, this is back at the Values Conference down in London. And I always remember seeing you standing on the side of the room. And you, ha- you have this lovely presence when you're in a room. And we were just drawn to you, me and my deputy, uh, Rachel. And we chatted to you. And then you stood on the stage and you blew us away with your passion for your school um, and your presentation. I remember texting you at the end saying, Hannah, that really made me cry. I was so touched by your passion. And then, of course, we kept in touch via Twitter and so forth over the years. And then I introduced you to the Resilient Leaders Elements last year with Rachel. And um, I could see straight away that you would love um, this as a coaching tool and as a leadership tool. And I know that you love it as much as I do. So you are the reason why why I'm here, Julie, because yeah. you introduced me to RLE and through RLE, RE developed R-E-A-L, Real, Resilient Empowered Authentic Leaders. So it seems quite timely that you're the first the first guest on the new podcast. Oh, I feel really privileged and honoured to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. So you've mentioned values a lot. So the next question is, what are your values and how do they shape you as a leader? Um, I think the main value every single time that I say to anybody aspiring to leadership is authenticity. Uh, We all come to our position with imposter syndrome, I think. I haven't spoken to any head or leader in a school who hasn't said, I feel like an imposter when I get to the top. But as long as you are authentic, authenticity has got to be your number one. You cannot do the job as someone else. 
So that's my first one. The second driver for me is kindness. That goes through our whole community. It's uh, being kind. I sign my emails in kindness. I believe if you live and breathe kindness to yourself and to others, then your life's going to be a fantastic journey. Um, and the children know that I always say, always be kinder than necessary. That brilliant quote from J.M. Barry, because that gets you a long way in life. And I really, truly believe if you practice that kindness element every day, then that comes back to you. So authenticity, authenticity and kindness. And then my third one, believe it or not, is responsibility. And that's an interesting one, maybe. Um, but I think we do need to take responsibility for our own lives, for the own our own pathway that we take, um, whether that's, you know, in your personal life. I mean, currently, as you've seen on Twitter, I'm doing Couch to 5K. I did 25 minutes this morning, Hannah, without stopping. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> but I know I have to take responsibility for my own health. And I'm at that stage in my life where I've decided, yes, you know, this is the time to do it. So um, those are my three, top three values. Brilliant. As an English teacher, I'm seeing a pattern here. A-R-K, ARK. I, yeah. like, I feel like there's a metaphor there about your values taking you on a journey. Totally, totally. So tell me a bit more about resilience. How have you developed your resilience as a leader? And how has your resilience been challenged on your leadership journey? So resilience is about failing. That would be the, my number one um, piece of advice to anybody if you're prepared to fail and learn from your failures and think about what can I do next time so it doesn't hurt so bad so when I fall over and graze my knees it's not both knees next time um, that's what resilience is to me so my journey has been a really challenging one I was a deputy head when I was 26 years old with my um, second baby, my second daughter, and I remember sitting on the end of the bed in the bedroom after the first two weeks, crying my eyes out, thinking, what have I done? I've got two young children here. I've taken on deputy headship of a huge school. And I had to be really resilient at that time. It was a time when we didn't have PPA. We didn't have management time. You taught and you were the deputy head and you took assembly and you ran every club after school. It was a different culture. Um, different expectations as well I guess and I found that tough but you know um, it was the best learning that I could have because resilience is about keeping going in the face of adversity and some of the challenges in the community where I was working at that time I found I found interesting I learned to be fascinated not frustrated at that time because so much of me, I wanted to impart to parents. And I came to respect, I guess, diversity, inclusion, um, respecting ethnic cultures, everybody coming with their different values. And I grew a lot at that time. Then in my first headship, I still had to teach. It was a small school, started at 100. And when I left, it was 150, so it grew. And um, the community was interesting. It was incredibly diverse in, in its demands. And a village school, you become part of that village. You are part of the everyday life. And you have to live and breathe your life through that school. And then eventually coming here uh, to my current school, which I absolutely love, Ledbury, being here 15 years. And I guess resilience here looks a little bit different um, because I've got a bigger team. I've got a bigger team underneath me. And being able to delegate, but most importantly, find the strengths within the team. 
And that is what resilience is for me now. Resilience is, okay, we, we make, may make wrong decisions. We may have fall over a couple of times, but I can share it with the team and I can use their strengths um, to pick us up and shake us up and put us in the right direction again. I could really hear you spotlighting those three values of authenticity, kindness and responsibility as you're talking there. And that visual of you sat on your bed having a bit of a cry with a with a small child and a and a big role. I, I could really hear the interplay and, and, and perhaps conflict between some of those values um, in mm. that moment as well. So we know that we're not always very good at celebrating and affirming our proudest moments. So like, could you just share some of your proudest moments of your career? And and how have you celebrated or acknowledged those successes? Oh, that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, I guess the celebration is when I, I think to the small wins, actually, first of all, you know, the children who you've really struggled to get them embedded in deep learning or the families who perhaps haven't been engaged with the school in the past, um, but you've got them on side and you've got their children reading and writing and making great progress. The, the biggest celebrations take part every July when my year sixes, uh, they start with me in nursery, the majority of them. Obviously, we have incomers as they come. And I've seen a lot of year sixes now pass through. And, uh, you know, you stand there at the leaders assembly and you remember them. You see the pictures of them come up when they were three and four. And you remember the time that you've spent with them, the, the plans that you've put in place to make sure that they can achieve and the three R's, I always want them to leave with the three R's, respect, resilience, and guess what? Responsibility. I say, if these children can leave with those three R's, that's amazing. So due to that work, I guess one way I've been able to celebrate that was um, I was recommended to go to the garden party at Buckingham Palace. So uh, one of my big celebrations was to be able to go there a couple of years ago. And um, I was so lucky because I was like a meter away from the Queen and met Harry and some of the other royals there. And uh, that's because a member of the community said, no, I actually think you're doing a grand job here as the head teacher. And we want to recognize that. So um, that's probably the biggest celebration that I've been afforded. Oh, it sounds sounds fab. What a lovely acknowledgement and affirmation that, that the work you believe in has been being recognised by that by that wider community. Which which leads on to my next question about our identity as leaders. So, how much of your personal identity do you weave into your professional self, and how, how have you gone about nurturing that sense of your authentic leadership? Yes, I think it, obviously it comes back down to authenticity. So my school, uh, we call ourselves the LPS family. It is my other family. I have my home family and I have my school family. So um, my staff know me. They know Julie, the person, as well as Julie, the leader. And to a certain extent, the community do as well. I think vulnerability for me is absolutely vital, Um you know, we've had some really tough experiences, as, as you are aware, and I guess perhaps it's poignant to mention that a couple of years ago, I lost my deputy head in a car crash, fatal car crash, and it was so sad. Um, and at that time, resilience came into play and authenticity and the emotion, the outpouring of grief and emotion as a whole community, because not only was I grieving as one of her friends, I was grieving as the leader of this community. Um, so 
being authentically yourself, being able to engage emotionally with those around you, and being to being able to acknowledge the families in the community that the hardships and the challenges that they face this last year in particular with coronavirus, what those parents have achieved out there is absolutely incredulous. And I know as a school, we've worked really hard to put things in place, but to go through two long lockdowns with children at home that you're trying to teach and manage your own lives as well, I just take my hats off you know, to the community. So the way that I achieve that authenticity, I guess, is really upfront communication. I'm on the gate every morning meeting and greeting all the children. Um, I'm out there talking to the parents. If there's an issue, uh, you know, people come in, we sit down, we have a coffee, we sort it out. I feel a little bit now at my age, like I'm the grandmother of the community. <laughs> You're far, far from it, far from it. <laughs> and I guess that's why I'm still passionately here. Um, because I know their families and now I'm receiving all the children's children that were here when I was first head teacher and that's a bit crazy but um, it works. I love that thank you Um, and thinking about empowerment like who has empowered you in your life or in your career and how have you gone about empowering other people? Oh you've got some great questions haven't you? (laughs) Um I had great role models when I was younger, both female and male. Um, My father is my absolute hero and he has this wonderful ability to engage with any person. He he could sell coals to Newcastle coal miners. He really could. He's just out there and, and believes that everybody's got something to offer in life. And I think that's what he taught me to see the good in absolutely everybody. And I do. Um, I never judge, never judge people. So that's been empowerment. I think if you can be in people's company without judgment and with curiosity, and that's why I love coaching so much, um, because everybody is like, well, I say that like a closed fern. That's what I believe. And that I like to unravel the fern. I say that my job is to enable people to flourish. And I've learned that so much from my dad. But when I was at school, um, I had some very strong female role models. And one of them was my PE teacher, Sue Price. Um, And I think what I learned from her more than anything is you can be anything you want to be if you put your mind to it. I always remember her sitting down and having that conversation with me. And when I was younger, I think I had a lot of saboteurs on my shoulder whispering those elements of doubt and you know, or can you quite make the A team in netball or can you make that grade in maths that you really want to get? And um, and not realising that they were saboteurs at the time, but she really empowered me to be the best I can be. And I've always remained friends with her throughout my life. You know, I still talk to her now um, because she recognised something in me. Determination, I think. How do I empower others? By believing and trusting in them. I think trust as a leader is absolutely fundamental. And once you know that you have a relationship with someone um, and that you can trust them, that's the way to empower them. And I'm so fortunate. I've got the most amazing team who um, I can empower and and none of them have ever abused that trust. Uh, And that's why, again, it's a great LPS family in this community. 
and I love that metaphor you use with your coaching of the fern um and it makes me think of like darkness and light and sort of like opening up to find the light mm-hmm. um and find that sweet spot so so share some of your um wisdom that you've learned over the years what's the best piece of advice or feedback that you've received as a leader and how did it impact you gift 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 it gift it out to our listeners <laughs> well it, I jump actually to Jonathan Rendell, who was a great um, person in my life when I was head teacher back at Kihonga. And the greatest gift he gave me was a poem, which was about making time for me and learning to say no. And it's interesting how many leaders I talk to and how many leaders I coach who say, I work 13, 14 hours a day. I don't know how to manage my work-life balance. And I really try to coach them into the gift of being able to say no and reflecting on whether this is appropriate for them within their role to take on board. And I think that's where everybody's pleaser saboteur comes in. Um, Naturally, as leaders in our communities, we want to please those people we're with. We want to please our community. We want to be seen to be the leaders and, and pleasing everybody. But you do have to think about what expense is that to your own health and your own life. Being at the computer from half past six in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, night, not having lunch breaks, um, that's no good to anybody. What makes you a leader is what you do as well away from your, your workplace. So going out, meeting new people, reading enjoying nature, looking after your health, all of those things and your passions and your interests as well. What are your desires in life apart from your workplace? That's what makes you your authentic self when you return to your workplace. So that would be my biggest piece of wisdom that I would give to any leader. Learn to say no, say it kindly, but say it authentically and know why you're saying no. I love that advice, boundaries and saying no, the power of the word no. And one of my reframes is when you when you say yes to someone else, you're saying no to yourself. Mm. And actually, Ooh, it's think, love it. so, it's, so it's thinking about there's always a yes and a no, isn't there, continuing. And I can remember reading um, Say Yes, the book by Shonda Rhimes, which I thought yes. was brilliant. And I ran a workshop on it and someone in the room, someone who mentors me said, but Hannah, you need to learn to say no. You say yes to everything. So I do think <laughs> it's interesting, our relationship with those two words. So, so th- maybe from wisdom to mantras, like what is your leadership affirmation or, or your leadership mantra that, that keeps you resilient as a leader? I think it goes actually hand in hand with my coaching mantra which I do you know it took me 18 months to get to those words enabling people to flourish and that comes from being in service I feel as a coach and as a leader I am in service to others and in being in service it's the key skill there is the ability to listen um, and I would say to anybody, that wonderful book, You're Not Listening, which I'm always promoting, it's one of the best books I've ever read. And how many of us actually only listen to what we want to hear? We only ever listen at level one because we're thinking, oh gosh, I've got to say this, I've got to get my part. And listening is such a powerful tool that if we could get parents with their children, children to children, you know, like the the hand up the monkey child in the class who is not listening to the teacher because they're thinking about what they want to say um for me that skill is the most fundamental skill that should be taught 
So if that's in place and you're really listening, then my mantra is you can enable people to flourish. And that's for me, the, the one thing that I believe in. And I would like other people to believe in, because if we were really kind and thought about that for each other, the whole world would just be full of ferns, wouldn't it? Flourishing in the forest. I love that. I love that. Short and simple. And I, I hear the struggle of trying to find those words because when I when I was writing my vision, mission and values for, for, for my um, organisation and my mantra, it's that word level attention to detail, getting the right verb and the right combination took a lot of time, but but I got there. So tell me about um, role models. Who is your role model as a resilient, empowered, authentic leader? And how would you like to learn from or emulate their leadership style? Wow, there's so many on the world stage, aren't there? You know, Jacinda Lehern, um, absolutely incredible how she's led New Zealand through the pandemic. Um, that's why I, I picked up the in kindness phrase because I think she signs off. And I thought, yes, well, if she can use it, I can use that. And just she is so authentic and vulnerable. She, she shows her vulnerability. Um, Michelle Obama incredible role model once again strong resilient authentic um you know not only to support Barack through the presidency but have her own agenda as well to follow I tend to follow many many people on Twitter you're one of them you're one of my role models you're one of the people I look up to and I, oh, I always wonder what's Hannah's perspective on this and I know that you have this wonderful vision of how you can go forward in life and you, you're great at taking those risks and powering on and you include so many people. So um, I aspire to be more like you, Hannah, I really do. And I guess Rachel McGill, who's the founder of RLE, um, I've been very fortunate to know Rachel for a very long time. She came to my school when I was head at my previous school with her children and we clicked straight away and uh, she coached me at that time. And that's when I first became interested in resilient leaders. And what Rachel does is um, we're very different personalities and she's very good at looking at the detail and sensing the absolute um, minuscule amount of changes that I may need to make to make something right. But she listens. She listens really, really well to what's happening in my life in order for me to make those decisions going forward. And I really appreciate that. So I'm fortunate to be surrounded by some wonderful, wonderful leaders, um, as well as, you know, the worldwide stage. Thank you. Some, some great examples there. And Rachel's actually going to be on the podcast in a few weeks' time. So the listeners will get, to, will get to meet her then. And I guess the, the one person I forgot to mention who I, I know that we all avidly love is Brené Brown. If you haven't read a Brené Brown book, please read it. If you have not seen her TED Talks, Please watch them. Um, once you become Brenny Brown, you become a different person in your life. I love that. And that might actually answer the next question about thought leaders, like the people who um, you observe, you read, you listen to, who have shaped your thinking as a leader. You don't have to mm. um, continue with Brene, but like who, who's who been quite sort of like pivotal in your, in your own leadership journey and exploration? Yeah, I think um, there's so many people out there now on podcasts that, you know, I, I do listen to. Um, and, you know, ultimately, people like Eckhart Tolle, he was my first person that I really read a lot. Uh, the philosophy, um, his ability to have an insight on into the power of now and make sure that we are totally present within this space. 
he has had a huge, um, huge impact on my life. And he came along at a time when my life was changing. I went through a divorce in my early 30s and I was so worried about the future. So worried about how I was going to manage, um, you know, and at that time it did feel very overwhelming. But once I started looking into his work and listening and reading, you know, his philosophies, I realised that the only moments that I could control is now. And that has stayed with me. And in realising that and embracing that, I was able to manage worry. And I don't worry. And that that is a real gift. I listen to so many people who do worry. And I think if you can just be very present and very mindful, um, that's now. Brenny Brown is my absolute heroine in terms of books. And I read and reread, you know, passages from her books and listening to her on um, the TED Talks, yeah. Ken Robinson, I just absolutely loved Ken. I was fortunate to Ken Robinson. I was fortunate to meet him twice um, and listen to him twice. Uh, absolutely inspirational in everything that he says. And the impact that he had on me was creativity. Um, I keep that at the heart of the children's learning whenever we're planning, planning curriculum or we're thinking about what the children should be doing. Um, Ken's work and his philosophy has, has sort of shaped my journey there. And I'm pleased to say, you know, this term we've come back and we're just coming out of pandemic and we just thought we have our, our B values every month, but we just thought what value is going to be the overriding value for this term for the children? And I thought about Ken and his work and we just decided on fun. We're going to make sure that we have a lot of fun with our learning this term. And I shared this with the children uh, in assembly and they are so excited. I said, every task you approach now, I just want you to do it with a, a fun uh, thought in your head. And, you know, just having somebody like Ken on your shoulder, just making you think about that. That's what inspirational people are about, aren't they? I love that. I love that. Some great, some great role models and thought leaders there. So the final question, what is your takeaway for the listeners on what it means to be real? I love the programme real that, that we're working with, um, with all of the leaders. And what I've loved about it is seeing these leaders know that they've got their own answers. And I think that would be my takeaway for the listeners. You are your own resilient self. You, are, you can empower yourself if you believe in yourself. Be your authentic self every single time. You do have the answer. You are creative, resourceful and whole yourself. Just find a great coach to listen to you and really get that out of you so that you can have the most fulfilled life that you can lead. Oh, Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure and joy um, spending some time with you today. Thank you so much for a lovely interview. I will drop all your details into the contact section of the podcast so people can follow up and find you on social media. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hannah. A pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Real Women podcast. Check out the show notes for the recommendations from today's guest. We'd love to hear what you think, so do leave us a review. We'll be back soon with another Real Guest.